This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, recently a federal court jury awarded a woman and her husband $8 million in a case of sudden unintended acceleration that left Cheryl Bullock severely and permanently injured after a September 2011 crash. Ms. Bullock was traveling with her five-year-old daughter when her 2004 Volkswagen Passat suddenly accelerated out of her control, causing the vehicle to leave the road and overturn. The lawsuit that was filed alleged Volkswagen Group of America and Honeywell International were aware of of a defect in the vehicle's turbocharger that could lead to sudden acceleration problems. So today on Ringler Radio, we have an interesting show. We're going to be taking a look inside the case uh, and also look at some other sudden acceleration cases. And we'll talk about what the car industry is doing to try to rectify these issues and better notify consumers. And joining me today as my co-host is my Ringler colleague and friend, Keith Christie, from Ringler's Birmingham and Mobile, Alabama offices. Keith has 30 years of experience in insurance and structured settlements, and he's been a real leader in our industry. Welcome along, Keith, for, uh, and thanks for joining thank you, me as Larry. my co-host. I appreciate being here, Mike. Thank you so much for allowing me to Terrific. participate. And joining us today as our special guest is Michael Andrews from the Beasley Allen Law Firm in Montgomery, Alabama. Mike joined Beasley in 1998, working in the products liability section. He's handled several cases against aircraft manufacturers, light and heavy trucks, automobiles, agricultural and construction equipment, really the entire gamut. Uh, Mike also has a particular passion for working on behalf of injured children. So with that, I want to say welcome, Mike. Great to have you here on Ringler Radio. Yeah, and great. Good morning. Thank you for having me back and, and having the opportunity to discuss this, this very important case. Well, terrific, Mike. Well, Mike, why don't you give us an overview of the Bullock uh, sudden acceleration case and uh, what really happened mechanically uh, caused this tragedy? Well, unlike a lot of the sudden acceleration cases that we've heard of in the past, this uh, actually centers around a little bit uh, of a different type defect. Uh, frequently, sudden acceleration cases stem from a computer glitch uh, or a fly-by-wire type situation. Uh, in, in those cases, Toyota has more often than not blamed the driver for misapplication of the gas pedal rather than the, than the brake. But uh, in this case, the vehicle was a turbo diesel and uh, it's a little bit different setup in what caused the, the acceleration and the uncontrolled situation with the car. The, the turbocharger in this car and in any other car works to increase the amount of air that is forced into the intake of the car. And by doing that, automakers can more or less squeeze out more power from a little bit smaller engine. The rotating components in a turbocharger have to be lubricated 
just like any other parts of an engine that are moving. And they do that by using some of the pressurized engine oil that is already in the motor. Well, because this engine was a diesel, it will burn virtually any fuel. Uh, diesel is, a, is an unrefined version of gasoline. It's uh, only slightly more refined than, than just pure engine oil. So if, if other fuels are introduced into the diesel engine, it can burn those. In this case, a leaky seal inside the turbocharger allowed this pressurized engine oil, which is supposed to be there to lubricate the turbo components, to leak into the air path, forced into the engine, and created a new secondary unregulated fuel source for this engine. Uh, so in effect, our, our driver has the accelerator, like you do in any other car, but it's also got a flow, a steady flow of engine oil now being introduced into the into the engine through the turbocharger, which there is no accelerator pedal. There's no control for that. And so as she's driving, the car begins to accelerate over time. Well, Mike, let me ask you, Ms. Bullock was permanently disabled because of this preventable tragedy. Um, can you describe her injuries to us? Yeah, her injuries were very severe. Uh, in fact, uh, I've handled a number of cases in which people that were not injured as severely did not make it. Uh, she literally was injured from head to toe. She suffered uh, severe injuries to her optic nerve. She had a closed head injury. Uh, she broke several uh, cervical vertebrae in her neck, a number of her ribs, uh, lacerated several internal organs as a result of uh, wearing her seatbelt in the crash. Uh, both knees severely injured, and interestingly, one of her uh, one of her more serious injuries, orthopedic injuries, gave us sort of a telltale of the position of her foot at the time of the crash, which later became to be a, a real issue in the case. In, in most cases, automakers blame the driver. And in cases in which the driver is killed, there's no one there to stand up for themselves. Thankfully, Ms. Bullock survived this crash, and she was telling us that her car was accelerating, that she was unable to bring it to a stop, and that she was pushing the brake pedal. Well, her right ankle had an injury that orthopedists refer to as an aviator's fracture. They call it that because in, in the old days when pilots would fly the stick and rudder air, aircraft, if they crashed while their feet were on the rudder pedals, it caused a very unique brake pattern, uh, a breakage, a fracture in their ankle bone. And uh, they, they just uh, characteristically refer to that as an aviator's brake. Well, Miss Bullock had the very same brake, and her orthopedist testified that, yes, that's consistent with her foot being on the brake pedal at the time of the crash. And so... Some of her injuries, you know, told us what she was doing and, and how she was trying to stop the car at the time of the crash. Well, that's interesting, uh, Mike. You also alleged uh, in the lawsuit that Volkswagen and Honeywell International were were aware of the defects. Uh, tell us about that. That's true. Uh, Honeywell's involvement, uh, a company named Garrett uh, Turbo Technologies, has been around for a number of years. Honeywell purchased that company. and uh, they manufactured the turbo in this case. 
part of the discovery in the case and part of what we were able to show the jury at the time of the trial were engineering documents that showed that uh, during testing, Honeywell was aware of leaks that developed in this particular seal design that, uh, it, that they found that it leaked on passenger car applications, it leaked on heavy trucks, it leaked on applications such as uh, agricultural tractors, uh, and, and they simulate different loading conditions, different motoring conditions, and in a number of those, Honeywell knew several years before our car was manufactured that this design leaks. Now, interestingly, these papers also discussed alternative designs, uh, different different manufacturing techniques, different designs that Honeywell tested that, that did not leak. Uh, but unfortunately, those were not incorporated in, in our car. Well, Mike, from Toyota to Volkswagen, we've seen so many unintended acceleration cases in the news. You know, why is that? And what are these car giants manufacturers missing when they put together these vehicles? Yeah, and, and one one thing you have to look at is that there are, again, a number of reasons why cars can accelerate and become uncontrollable. And so what you when you when you look for the common thread that becomes the fact that the standards that automakers have to comply with are so minimal that a lot of defects are just simply going unnoticed. They're not being picked up. And and standards uh, which cars do meet, again, are are so very minimal that a car can pass a number of standards and still be defective. An example would be, you know, every every Bronco two, every Pinto, uh, every every Ford Explorer with wilderness tires, every uh, every GM right now with the defective ignitions. All of those cars passed the minimal highway safety standards that we have in the U.S., they're still defective. And so what has to happen is manufacturers need to, to look beyond just the bare minimum and realize that these autos are used in, in, in everyday driving, they're used in the world where crashes happen, and they need to implement and follow more stringent guidelines. Well, you know, Mike, that's interesting. I was going to ask you that. What, what what has to happen with the industry, the, the auto industry, to help prevent tragedies? Does the government have to pass more stringent standards that they have to meet, or does the does the industry itself have to police itself on those standards? What What's your opinion on that? Well, you know, it, it, that's a tough issue because uh, the government is is simply overworked. The, it's the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration is so overworked and quite simply cannot get around to everything that they need to. Now, hand-in-hand hand with that is the fact that most of the standards that the automakers uh, have to pass were drafted by the automakers themselves. And so it stands to reason that, you know, obviously they're going to propose a standard that they already know they can pass with minimal effort. And so the standards have to be higher. Uh, automakers have to be held to, to more account. And it's going to require a, a real sea change within the industry for that to happen. You, you, look, you look to Europe, for example. Uh, the European automakers, Volvo is the first one that comes to mind uh, for a culture of safety. And Volvo has 
has committed to by the year 2020 the, the concept that no one will be seriously injured or killed driving a new Volvo. That is that is a huge commitment to safety, and one that uh, you know I, I don't see American automakers uh, first of all ever stepping up and making that commitment, and certainly with the culture that they have today, they they could not today uh, could not live up to that commitment if they were able to to make it. You're talking about the culture of the American automakers. Do you find that these these industries are are hiding these facts? And these these issues from the consumers, absolutely. And if so, why? We we see it every day. Well, it's it's solely in the name of profit, uh, more sales. Um, automakers know that they they run tests that reveal failure modes, and just quite simply hide that information. Uh, uh, one example is the the GM ignition uh, cases that are ongoing now, which we have a number of. Uh, you know, GM knew about that defect for over 10 years before it ever came to light through the Brook Melton case in Georgia. Uh, and as a result of that litigation, millions of cars worldwide have now been recalled. Uh, Volkswagen, this week, you know, this is the Detroit Auto Show week in which the automakers release their new design. And NHTSA has taken the position and the government that Volkswagen has hidden from the American public uh, the fact that its diesel cars cannot meet the EPA standards, the air quality standards, uh, emission regulations. And, uh, you know, they've had a number of executives, the president, the company, CEO, all stepped down. People have been fired. But interestingly, here's, here's Volkswagen's position this week. They said, look, we didn't lie. Our procedures just were not compatible with American law. Now, that's, that's a real slick and fancy way of saying what we did was illegal. But, you're not, yeah, <laughs> but, you're but right. the way they phrase it is that, you know, what we did just wasn't compatible with your laws. Uh, well, this is the country in which they're trying to sell products, and so they have to, com- to, to, to comply with the safety regulations and laws that we have. And so to answer your question, Absolutely. Automakers uh, hide every day, hide information from the American public uh, in furtherance of selling more vehicles. Well, you know, you know, my God, I don't want to get too political here, but obviously uh, a lot of what these companies do obviously is hire lobbyists to, to push their, their policies into Congress to, to have them pass laws that will either uh, lower standards or protect them from uh, maybe some higher standards. Uh, how do you feel about that, about the, the whole political process of, uh, of money in politics and, and how it affects companies and industries like the auto industry from maybe doing the right thing? Well, I think as long as you have a political system, you're going to have people who want to have their say. And I think, I think companies, just like individuals, have the right to, to be able to express their opinion and try to push their agenda. The, the bigger issue here, though, is that public safety is far too important to be left up to politics. Public safety is a is a driving force that has to be above and beyond the pettiness of, of politics, the pull and sway. You should not have a situation in which cars are safer under one administration than another. 
you shouldn't have a situation in which automakers are, are freer to get away with with safety defects under one political landscape as opposed to the next. Safety has to be an issue that overrides uh, politics. It has to be something that is so important that, that the political landscape doesn't affect. Very well said. Very well said, Mike. And uh, since we're in an election uh, season right now, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Well, let's take a quick break right now, but be back in a minute right here on Ringo Radio with my co-host, Keith Christie, and our special guest, Mike Andrews. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm joined today by my co-host, Keith Christie, and our special guest, attorney Mike Andrews from the Beasley Allen Law Firm in Montgomery, Alabama. Well, Mike, in cases like these, like the one we talked about earlier, the the injured person is not the only one impacted. Miss Bullock uh, has a young daughter and a husband. And in your experience, how do many of these injuries affect the families? Yeah, the injuries to the individual themselves is really the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you know, this not only did this severely affect her husband, uh, who has to step up and become both the mother and the father, but uh, it affects her daughter, her young daughter, who was who was actually in the crash. Thankfully, she was not injured, but uh, she was there, and she has to go through the emotional and, and, and mental trauma. But, uh, you know, there are grandparents involved, and they step up and move into the home to try to help help the family heal. And, and injuries of this type, this severe, uh, last for years. And, and so this is not a situation in which, you know, she's out of the hospital and things return to normal. They're now dealing with what is their new normal and, and how that affects the rest of the family. And it certainly extends to all of the members in the family. You're correct about that, Mike. You really are. Um, and talking about structured settlements, um, and Mrs. Bullock is permanently disabled from this accident, um, how does a structured settlement benefit her and her family, you know, short-term and long-term? You know, structured settlements can be very useful and, and, and definitely very important, uh, particularly in cases involving catastrophic injuries for a number of reasons. One, it, 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 it causes the person to have money set aside uh, that is going to be there for the future, for the long term. Uh, 
in the short term, the the person frequently is dealing with uh, with trying to adjust to this new normal and their physical needs and, and therapy and doctor's appointments. So maybe they don't have the time or the mental capacity to deal with with financial arrangements. And so it can take that burden away from the person and set up a, a financial vehicle that is there that will just continue to, to operate. The other thing, like I said, is that, that you know, these, these injuries frequently last for years. As we age, someone who has been injured frequently will will develop more injuries later that are related to that. For example, early onset of arthritis. Uh, and if you've had a replacement uh, knee, a replacement hip, replacement ankle, then you're going to have a certain interval at which those have to be replaced yet again. And so if, if someone has a cash payout and unfortunately goes through that money, buys everything they've ever wanted, uh, it might be great for a short time, but then later they don't have the money set aside for those medical treatments. And so a structured settlement uh, can definitely be very beneficial and, and helpful in catastrophic injury cases. Well, that, that's good to hear you say that, and uh, I think we all agree with you very, very, very much. What's your message, Mike, to those folks who've been injured by a defective vehicle? <clears throat> what's, what's the next step they should, they should take if they feel that they've, they've been uh, sub- subjected to some of the problems that you mentioned earlier? Well, the, the big issue is a consumer generally doesn't know if the injury is a result of a defect. They just know that they were in a wreck or, or some sort of accident and they've been catastrophically injured but they can't put their finger on what it might have been about the vehicle. And this case was a good example. You know, being an ordinary consumer, Miss Bullock knew that something was wrong. Her car accelerated out of her control. But not being an engineer, not being an accident reconstructionist, not being a turbocharger person, she didn't know exactly what or how that defect could have contributed to her crash. So someone who has been in an accident, someone who has been catastrophically injured, needs to seek investigation from a, a an experienced lawyer, someone who's seen this before. I've always said that if I had to have uh, serious surgery, I want a surgeon who has done three or four of those same surgeries that day, someone that comes in the room and has just seen what he's about to do for me. And the same applies in, in the world of attorneys. You want someone who sees catastrophic injury cases, someone who's familiar with the injury issues, but also with the defect issues, and who can look at, at the accident, who can look at the product, and can help you understand how it happened, what defect may exist, and how the company uh, certainly could and should have designed it in such a way that this would not have happened. Well, that's good advice. Good advice. Well, Mike, let me ask you, and in, in, in circling back, to what Larry just said, you know, what would be your message to the car industry or the auto the auto manufacturing industry regarding the handling of these 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 cases? I mean, if you were an advocate for the plaintiff talking to the car manufacturers, what would you say to them? Well, you know, we do that every day. We talk to car manufacturers uh, in deposition, and uh, what I would say to them is that. Safety is the most important issue in the product that you're producing. You're producing a product that can affect people who don't even purchase your product. Uh, someone driving down the road 
uh, in another manufacturer's automobile can be struck by a GM car with a defective ignition. And so it's important to understand that, that safety is the primary overriding issue in automobile manufacturing. It has to be. Uh, even as we move into to uh, operator-assisted and autonomous driving vehicles, uh, that those vehicles propose to take the driver uh, out of the loop of fault and put it solely on the car, and that's fine. But the car structure itself still has to be safe. It still has to perform properly in a reasonable crash. And for goodness sake, if you know an issue exists in your car, don't hide that. Get it out in the open immediately so that no other people can be needlessly uh, injured and killed. Well, you know, Mike, uh, you you just mentioned driverless cars. You know, I, I think that we can all say that and assume that we're going to be seeing litigation in the future on the cases you're talking about in today's environment, but certainly in that new environment that's out there as we move forward through time. I assume you agree with that, that litigation is not going to stop. Uh, I, I think these these problems are probably just going to be persistent through 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 time because of either manufacturers' desire to keep cut costs or, or maybe just design elements and in, in, in how they're trying to make these cars. So I, I'd say that litigation is not dead as we move forward. Do you agree with that? Absolutely not. And, and unfortunately, people will continue to be injured and, and killed in automobile crashes. Uh, and some of those crashes are going to be the result of defects in products. Uh, you know, just because a computer is now uh, driving or helping to drive the car doesn't mean that it is uh, it's worry-free. Have you ever had a computer that never crashed? I haven't. I mean, and so so you have to think, well, that's going to carry over to the automobile industry, too. Uh, but again, in, in those cases, even assuming, assume for a second that the computer doesn't do anything wrong, that someone else driving their car hits you, your car still has to be manufactured to perform in such a way that you're made safe or as safe as you can be given the magnitude of the crash. Everyone knows that crashes are going to happen. That's why automakers have to run crash tests. And so the car has to be manufactured in such a way that you're protected when that crash does happen. Well, Mike, it's important that the public also have competent, tremendous uh, attorneys, litigation attorneys that are going to help them when they get into these predicaments. And uh, coupled with great representation and and hopefully – Certain elements that might help, such as structured settlements. Uh, hopefully, we bring you bring, and also all of us bring some uh, solace to some of these folks who have uh, suffered in these incidents. So, with that, I think we'll wrap it up, Mike. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, talk to you about this or any other subject, how would they do that? One of the easiest ways to reach me uh, around the clock is really email, and that's Mike dot Andrews at BeasleyAllen.com. You can go to our website, which is BeasleyAllen.com, and locate us uh, through the various pages, or you can call me at 800-898-2034. Terrific. And uh, Keith, if someone wanted to talk to you, how would they do that? Uh, The easiest way to do that would be via my cell phone, 504-616-6263, or via email at K. Christie at ringlerassociates.com. 
Terrific. And if uh, any of you out there want to contact any of the Ringler Associates around the country, ringlerassociates.com is the website. Uh, it's a terrific website. It's got a lot of great information. And, of course, you can reach any of us out there on that website. You can even see our pictures, Keith. I think they're, they're in the, on the website there. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I wanted to mention to you is that when you go on our website, ringlerassociates.com, you can see all the Ringler radio shows that have been done. We've done hundreds of the shows over, the t- over time. You can also reach those shows on ringlerradio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, or you can go to iTunes and download it and listen at your leisure. You can hear uh, Mike Andrews and us discuss this whole concept of defective automobiles. And uh, with that, Mike, I want to thank you again for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, again, thank you for, for having me and giving me the opportunity to speak today. Terrific. And, Keith, thanks for being a great co-host. I appreciate it very much, gentlemen, and I uh, hope to see both of you soon. Terrific, terrific. And with that, I'll just say to all the rest of you out there, just go have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. With over a million listeners, Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. Today.